You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt and Jr. Air, Kirk so Herbstreet is on the phone. It's funny. The Air Tour Sports yeah. Podcast presented so by Betfred Sportsbook. Man. It is Monday, December 19th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for what should be, you know, these Monday episodes. College football's done. It doesn't matter. We got a ton to talk about. Here's what we're going to talk about on today's show. You know, I I thought we were going to lead with college football, but the college basketball slate was so good. We got to start there. Yes, we are going to open with the debacle at Madison Square Garden. I've been a Calipari guy. I'm just going to say the numbers are starting to come out. It is hard to defend this guy. You are going to be stunned by some of the numbers about Kentucky and big games of late. From there, we'll get to the rest of the weekend in college basketball. Gonzaga, Alabama, Tennessee, Arizona, Houston, Virginia, North Carolina, Ohio State, Indiana, Kansas, on and on and on. And then we will wrap with the big college football story of the day. Dylan Rayola, the top quarterback in high school football, maybe outside of Arch Manning. He's a 2024 kid going into his senior year next year. Has been committed to Ohio State forever decommits on Saturday, and I'm just telling you, there is something not quite right going on at Ohio State. We discuss all of that. Before we get started, a couple quick announcements, and the main announcement, the one you need to know, if you listen to Friday's show, you already know, but here's the bottom line. Here's what's going on. By now, you know, presenting sponsor, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast is Betfred Sportsbook. Love working with them. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States. Not only our presenting sponsor, but also the presenting sponsor of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, Cincinnati Bengals. Why do I bring it up? It's because January 1st is a huge day, a historic day in the state of Ohio as legal sports betting comes to Ohio on January 1st. And Betfred Sportsbook is going to be in Cincinnati and is throwing a bash of the century. Your boy Torres will be there. If you want to come, these are the details. First of all, all you got to do is DM me. We'll get you set up. We'll get you on the list. But it's called Foling Warehouse, okay? Foling Warehouse in Cincinnati. That is the place to be. Betfred Sportsbook is throwing a party. Your boy Torres is going to be there. Here is what is included. Uh, Appearances by Hall of Famers like Anthony Munoz, not to mention your boy Torres, neither here nor there. Also. They're giving away the following day. January 1st is a Sunday. 
following Monday is Monday Night Football Bills Bengals. They're giving away 50 tickets to that game. Having all day betting contest, best better in Ohio will be crowned that day. Betfred is going to blow it out. Foling Warehouse is the spot. Cincinnati, Ohio. If you live in Northern Kentucky, if you live in Cincinnati or the surrounding area, hit me up, DM me at Aaron underscore Torres, email me Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I will be there. I want you there. Foling Warehouse, Cincinnati, hit me up. Couple quick other announcements. One, I don't quite know the schedule yet this week. Obviously, it's Christmas. Uh, we're going to figure out some stuff. I know that probably because National Signing Day is on Wednesday, maybe I'll do a show on Tuesday to kind of preview National Signing Day. So we'll see. Don't quite know the schedule yet. I hope all of you ever are going to have a great holiday week prior to the, the holiday itself. Uh, if you have not ordered your merch, the Mora Hurley t-shirts for UConn fans, I've already seen them at the bowl game. UConn plays their bowl game on Monday. We got ourselves our Alabama basketball school shirts. We got our Mike F. and Woodson shirts. We got uh, a new Auburn tee that just dropped that is selling like hotcakes. Make sure to check it out at the Aaron Torres Media Merchandise Shop. I think that is all for announcements for this particular moment. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, you know, I'll just tell you, I, I actually had planned to lead with a little bit of college football because it was it was actually a very busy weekend in college football. Some very interesting stuff happened off the field, portal, recruiting, et cetera. National Signing Day is later this week. We're going to have to save that for the back end of the show. We may do a special Tuesday show just to talk about recruiting, signing day, all that good stuff. But where I do want to start is actually with college hoops. Because I thought for the second straight Saturday, we got a great Saturday of college basketball. A lot of good games. We will get to them later. Because uh, I thought, again, excellent college hoops with Gonzaga, Alabama, uh, UNC, that wild comeback against Ohio State, Tennessee, Arizona. I know Tennessee fans are mad. I know Arizona fans are happy after that one. Houston, Virginia, on and on and on and on and on. Unfortunately, though, as great as all those games were, I do want to start with what ended up being the biggest story of Saturday, frankly, coming from one of the worst games, not only that I've seen this year, but that I have seen in a very, very, very long time as UCLA in the second half of the CBS Sports Classic plays Kentucky, and it was bad. It was abominable. Final score, 63-53. to 53. UCLA wins. I saw some stats that this was basically the worst statistical performance by Kentucky offensively uh, since the 2011 Final Four against Kemba Walker and UConn, so you know it's been a while. But the bottom line is this. Well, I'd love to sit here and give uh, you know UCLA a ton of credit and talk about them. As I often say, the more interesting story is in the losing locker room in big games like this regularly. That is certainly the case, and let's put it on Kentucky because in another big game, in another marquee opponent uh, against another marquee opponent, they just look flat, unprepared. And again, I say it all the time. There's no one else to blame other than John Calipari. And to take it a step further, I, I just don't know how you can forgive where the state of this program is right now or put blame on anyone other than John Calipari. And so I don't want to spend too much time talking about the game. It was bad, but I just want to kind of contextualize just how bad Kentucky was on Saturday against uh, against UCLA, okay? So first of all, they trailed by eight at half. It's a minor miracle. I mean, it was, it was Kentucky got their, Kentucky fans, you got your Christmas miracle on Saturday by only being down by eight because the bottom line was Kentucky was terrible in the first half. How about this? 
11 field goals made, 12 turnovers in the first half, yet you only trailed by one, trailed by eight, despite having one more turnover than field goal made. The second half, it really didn't get much better, but the problem was UCLA couldn't make a shot either. And UCLA was dying to let Kentucky back into this game, and they did let Kentucky back into the game. They finished the second half shooting 10 of 25 from the field, one three-pointer made, seven of 14 from the free throw line, and Kentucky couldn't do anything about it. Kentucky, by the end of the game, how about this? They cut the lead to four with 226 to go. In the final 226, and I saw this stat from my buddy Jack Pilgrim, so I want to give him credit, Kentucky Sports Radio. Kentucky went 0 for 11 from the field, and they end up losing by 10. And so we could go on and on and on and beat around the bush. But the bottom line is this, is that with this loss, it just feels like once again, in a big spot, in a big moment against good teams, Kentucky does not show up, is not ready to play, and simply looks outcoached, outmatched. There's no adjustments. It's really bad. And now, here's the crazy part. After the game, we have some real stats to back up that you cannot deny that this program is going in the wrong direction. Okay, If you want to argue it's not 2012, Anthony Davis isn't walking through the door, John Wall isn't walking through the door, okay, whatever. But there were some insane stats that came out of this game after Kentucky loses to UCLA at Madison Square Garden. This one from Corey Price, who says that in Kentucky's last 17 games, against AP top 25 opponents. Just but before uh, Kentucky fans on the step, but if you're not a Kentucky fan, take a guess. If I said Kentucky in the last 17 games versus AP top 25 teams, what would you say? You'd sit there and say, "Ah, Kentucky hasn't been good, but you know, whatever. They were all right last year." It's not it's 17 games. It's not 10 and 7. It's not 9 and 8. They are 4 and 13 in their last 17 games against ranked opponents. Now, I know some of that was during the crazy COVID year or whatever. Four and 13 in their last 17 games. Beyond that, how about this? I saw this from uh, Andrew Cassidy, who said that since John Calipari signed that lifetime contract, that was after the 2019 season, Kentucky is now 67 and 33 overall, eight and 15 versus ranked teams. 7 and 11 versus power 5 non-conference opponents so losing record versus power conference power conference non-conference opponents zero NCAA tournament wins one SEC tournament win as well uh, by the way the irony of using the the um the irony of using the lifetime contract as a barometer of when all this started of course can't be you know we can't pass it up because of the fact, remember, John Calipari signed the lifetime contract because UCLA, of all schools, was pursuing him. I know that UCLA would not trade Mick Cronin for him, but what it says to me is actually something that I actually said last year after the NCAA tournament lost to St. Peter's. If you remember, one thing I said about Kentucky, this is what I said. I said, Kentucky is, to me, they have turned into the Dallas Cowboys of college basketball, okay? They win a lot of games. They just don't win the games that matter. That is who Kentucky is right now. Dallas, they look great against uh, Washington and Houston and this and that and the other thing. Put them in a playoff game. They don't step up to the table. Put them in a big moment. They don't step up to the table. And it's the same with Kentucky. The last four, five, six years, ever since that 2015 run, it feels like in a big game, 
in the big moments. Kentucky wins. They, they win all the games they're supposed to win. They beat the Vanderbilts, the Missouris, the whoever. But in big games, they are not ready to play. This is becoming a recurring theme. And as I said a minute ago, they're the Dallas Cowboys of college basketball. They win a lot of games, just not the games they're supposed to. And it's crazy. Because as I came out of, and this is kind of the, 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 the one message I want you to take out of Saturday with Kentucky UCLA, okay? As I sat back and I reflected on everything that happened Saturday night at Madison Square Garden, one thing came to me. For the first time ever, now other people have said this, but I haven't. For the first time ever, I don't think that I can sit there and definitively say, that there isn't a better person to run Kentucky basketball, Kentucky basketball's program right now. And it pains me to say this has obviously been a conversation, but listen, bottom line is I have been largely, obviously it goes without saying, right, a John Calipari defender. Um, and I think really up until even this season, I think there was reasons to defend him, right? Because we can look at the last three years. Okay, a couple of things. One, 2020, before the season was canceled because of COVID. Uh, Kentucky won the SEC regular season. They would have been a two seed probably in the NCAA tournament and had a legitimate chance to make a run in a national championship. Okay. So you got to factor that in 2021. I'll give John Calipari a pass because there were a lot of great historical coaches across college sports that struggled. Jim Harbaugh struggled. He almost lost his job at Michigan. We've seen what he's done since James Franklin was terrible at Penn state. They're coming off a 10 win season in 2022. Uh, Coach K missed the NCAA tournament. Roy Williams got knocked out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So there were a lot of great coaches that struggled in the COVID year. I'll give him a pass for that. I'll even give him a pass for last year because if you remember last year, they were a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But what's crazy about even last year, again, you go back to the big games, and I know they beat Kansas. I know they beat North Carolina, but I looked it up. Remember, there were three elite teams in, in the SEC besides Kentucky last year. Arkansas, Auburn, and Tennessee. Alabama wasn't very good last year. LSU wasn't very good last year. Three elite teams in the SEC last year, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Auburn. Kentucky went one and four against them as well. So this just pulls up the theme. They win a lot of games, but not the games that matter. And that's why I'm saying what I say right now is that I have always believed that through the darkest moments, through the biggest disappointment, John Calipari was still the best coach for Kentucky basketball because I believed that there was nobody that brought all of the elements together better than he did. We know he can recruit. He's great kind of handling the zaniness of the, the, the fan base, right? It's a, it's a tough fan base to play for. He said many times, you people are crazy. He handles it better than a lot of people would. Uh, the PR stuff is phenomenal. Listen, we could criticize him for whatever. He raised a ton of money for flood relief this year. Uh, the Gonzaga scheduling thing was really cool. And I think we always kind of understood, okay, he handles all of the elements so well. He might not be the best coach in college basketball. He might not be elite but he's winning at a high enough level that you can't really criticize. Well, when I saw that 4-13 and 13 stat, that's what stuck out to me. Because at the end of the day, listen, I get that there might not be a guy that's as good with the PR. I get that there might not be a guy that recruits at the level that he does. But here's the bottom line. You mean to tell me that if you put other people in the Kentucky basketball coaching spot, some of them might not be as good in recruiting, some of them might not be as good at this, that, the other thing. They couldn't go better than four and 13 versus ranked opponents in their last 17 games. Give me a break. And so what I, what I don't want to do now is start naming candidates and who should be next and this and that, because what I can say is I think there's some really great candidates out there. I've also heard some names that I don't think would be the perfect person in that spot. 
I don't want to start speculating now because one, it's not fair to the, the current players, the current coaching staff, assistant coaches, whatever. It's also not fair to speculate with people's names that are at other jobs right now. So that's not what I'm going to do right now. But again, when I look at this situation, I've always said nobody can handle all of the elements of, of being the Kentucky basketball coach. But at some point, like the coaching on the court has to matter too. And so that's where I come to the fact that I just don't know that he's the best guy anymore. Now, look, can they turn things around this year? Of course they can. They weren't great at this time last year. But I will say this. This was right when they started to peak last year, right? It was against North Carolina in this event. They blow out North Carolina, and they really go on and run the rest of the season. Well, right now, we're looking at Kentucky. It is December 19th, as most of you listen to this, maybe December 20th, 21st, 22nd, whatever. You know what Kentucky's out-of-conference resume going into SEC play is right now? It's a win over a sort of decent Michigan team in London in a game where Michigan's starting point guard got hurt. That's the resume. Lost to Gonzaga, and I don't even think Gonzaga's good this year. Lost to Michigan State. Michigan State definitely isn't good this year, and lost to a good UCLA team. And so what I would say is I don't know what the answer is. I don't have all the answers. What I do know is it can't keep going on like this, and I can't say right now. Now, could I change my opinion in a month, in a year, in six months? Of course I could. I was saying stuff like this about Jim Harbaugh many years ago. But at the same time, like, I can't say right now that I truly believe that somebody couldn't do the job, at least on the court, better than John Calipari. He's great at the -the off-the-court stuff, which is ironic because obviously once he retires as the coach, he is going to have an administrative role where he's going to be perfect doing the things that he's already good at. But he's got to produce on the court. And I'll just say, I'm curious to see what the next few years are like, okay? Because what I would say in general is this. There's been a narrative around Kentucky basketball for a while. Calipari, after the the 2021 season, after last year's NCAA tournament loss, that no matter what happened, regardless, he was going to get all of this year when he had the reigning national player of the year coming back, Oscar Shibway, and as he signed the number one recruiting class in 2022-2023, he was going to get all of next year, and then the idea was... Maybe he decides to step away after he coaches Dewan Wagner's son, DJ, number one high school player in this 2023 class. Obviously, Calipari coached his dad at Memphis. Now he's coaching his son, put a book in on his career. What I would say is I never really believed that narrative. Just never was something that I I seriously thought was a realistic thing. But I got to be real. These last few losses to Gonzaga a few weeks ago, into this one. This is the first time that I think it can happen. Because first of all, keep in mind this. Calipari, 63 years old. He's going to be 64 uh, in a couple weeks. Going to be 65 by the time next season ends. You can't coach forever. But two, you also just can't keep going on like this, right? You can't keep losing the volume of games that you lose to the types of opponents that you lose. So I have never been a Calipari's definitely out after the after 2023-2024 guy but I'm really starting to wonder if that's the case. Uh, And that's really it. Like I said, no one's been a bigger defender. I don't wish him ill will. I don't wish the players ill will. But you look across college basketball right now. You can't watch Alabama. You can't watch whoever, Purdue, UConn, Arkansas, UCLA, Arizona, Tennessee. You can't watch these teams at this moment in time and say that Kentucky's on the same level. They just aren't. Maybe things change by the end of the year, but you can't tell me right now, today, on December 19th, 2022, 
that John Calipari is the right man for the job. From the UCLA perspective, listen, I feel bad. I know we have UCLA fans that listen to this show, and I know you guys are mad that I'm not giving your team more credit. But come on, your team didn't even play that well on Saturday. They played well early, didn't play well particularly late. But listen, for UCLA, I think they're starting to hit a groove. They have now won seven straight games. The last two were really impressive. You go on the road to Maryland on a Wednesday night and smack them around, and then you destroy Kentucky in Madison Square Garden. I think it's a great sign for UCLA. Remember, they're going to have road trips like this all the time when they join the Big Ten in two years. And so because of it, to go on the road, two ranked teams, back-to-back, East Coast trip, uh, you're there for a week. To me, it's nothing but a positive sign that you take care of business. I like this team a lot. I think Jaime Jaquez is really good. Jaden Clark is tough. Uh, and I think they're still starting to – I think some of the pieces are starting to get better, like an Amari Bailey and a Dembona and a Mac Etienne. All right, so what I want to do, I will take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I am going to talk a little bit about the rest of the Saturday in college basketball because it was a great Saturday. Gonzaga, Alabama. Gonzaga, for the first time, credit to them. They looked awesome. Houston, Virginia. Tennessee, Arizona. That was an interesting game, to say the least, especially if you're a Tennessee fan. Uh, North Carolina, Ohio State. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pickup Challenge. I am, of course, talking about Bracket Phonetics. By now, you know all about Bracket Phonetics. I have been working with them for years, multiple NCAA tournaments. This year, Bracket Phonetics decided to get into the NFL space, and they are doing the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pickup Challenge. We are doing the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pickup Challenge, courtesy of Bracket Phonetics. What do you need to do? How do you need to sign up? How can you take advantage of Bracket Fanatics? Let me tell you right now. All you got to do, go to BracketFanatics.com. Click the tab, join Bracket. The Bracket name is Torres. And here's what happens when you sign up. All you got to do, every single week, pick every single game on the NFL slate. Not against the spread, not over under. Just pick every single game. And here's what happens. Winner, every single week, gets $100 cash Courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. So BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket name Torres, pick the games, every winner, every week, gets $100 cash courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. And here's the cool part. When the season ends in a few weeks, you can still get a $1,000 season-long cash prize. That goes to the ultimate winner, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Not too late to sign up. You'll automatically be entered to win the $100 weekly winner. All you gotta do, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket name Torres, tell them Torres sent you. BracketFanatics.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I uh, do want to switch gears. And, and really, I want to I talk about some of the other games in college basketball. Because, listen, UCLA and Kentucky. Uh, it wasn't very aesthetically pleasing. It certainly gave us a storyline and something to discuss on this show. But I bring it up because outside of that game, we got another awesome Saturday of college basketball. And I did say it on the last Monday show a week ago, but credit to the powers that be in college basketball, right? Because uh, we had college football up till that first weekend in December. And we know that we get a couple weekends here before things really ramp up with the playoff and the major bowl games. And so credit to the TV networks, credit to these schools for being willing to play all of these marquee games. And so let's hit on a couple of the other good ones from Saturday. Well, they're all better than UCLA Kentucky was, but let's get to some of the other results on Saturday. Let me start with a game. I I don't know if it's necessarily where everybody else is starting, but I did see something in that Gonzaga-Alabama game that I really want to talk about. Gonzaga, they've been up and down all year. I've been very critical of them. I've said I don't think they're quite as good as they've been in years past. Well, they go to Alabama, and they beat the Alabama Crimson Tide, who just one week ago beat Houston at Houston. Final score, 100-90. to Drew Timmy was awesome. Gonzaga was awesome. But before we get into the odds and ends, let me just say this. Like I said, I've been very critical, critical of Gonzaga. I don't think this is one of their best teams. This was not only the first time all year that I said, that looks like a team that could actually go to the Final Four. I would argue this was probably their best game overall relative to competition, maybe in over a year. I actually was texting, you know, a pretty prominent college hoops guy. I won't say his name. I don't know if he wants this out there, but I said, when is the last time you can remember Gonzaga playing as complete of a game against as good of an opponent? We came back to the UCLA game that they played two days before Thanksgiving last year. So not this past two weeks ago. I'm talking a year ago, November 2021 into 2022. That to me was the last time that Gonzaga looked as good as they did Saturday in Birmingham. Obviously, late last year, they they, they lose to Arkansas in the NCAA tournament. This year, I don't think they've been great early, but give credit where it's due. They were really good against a good Alabama team. Now, in terms of the specifics with Gonzaga, a couple things stand out. One, Drew Timmy is that dude, okay? And I think I talked about it a little bit. I was at the aircraft carrier game, Michigan State and Gonzaga. Um, But in that game, I I remember talking about it after, where I said, you know, sometimes with a guy like Drew Timmy or Oscar Sheepway or some of these returning guys in college basketball that we know the names, we know the faces, sometimes you sit there and say, is that guy really as good as everybody makes him out to be? Or is it a little bit he's just been around and we know his name? Well, Drew Timmy once again proved on Saturday, like, like, I don't know if he's the best player in college basketball, but darn, is he a good college basketball player finishing with 29 points in this game um, and against a young, very talented, very athletic Alabama front line. I mean, he just looked like the, 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 the guy that he's always compared to is Kevin McHale with the pump fakes and the this and the that and turning over each shoulder. Alabama had just no answer for Drew Timmy. So that was one thing that stood out to me about that Gonzaga win. But two, 
It was really everything else that they have done all year to get them in trouble. They actually did the opposite on Saturday, right? And so my criticism about Gonzaga has been, okay, we know about Drew Timmy, but what about everybody else on that team? What about the guards? Are they good enough to get it done against elite teams? Well, on Saturday, for the first time in a long time, I felt like their guards outplayed Alabama's guards. Uh, You look across the board. This was a team that has struggled with turnovers all season long. They had 19 against Baylor, 19 against Purdue, 20 against Texas. Those were their three losses. Finished on Saturday with 13 in Alabama against Alabama. Finished 7 of 17 from 3 as a team. And so when you look at Gonzaga, for the first time all year, they really look like we expect Gonzaga to look. Spacing, ball movement, passing, cutting, all of the things that makes Gonzaga Gonzaga. They finished shooting almost 58% from the field, 57% overall, 41% from three. And as I said, only nine total turnovers. So just credit to Gonzaga. I think it was their best win, their most complete win relative to competition since UCLA 2021. That was the beginning of last season. They go to Alabama and get the win. From the Alabama perspective, I think there's two ways to look at it. Well, there's really three. Alabama fans would tell you uh, that they didn't like the foul calls in this game. They thought that Gonzaga, there was a a, a heavy pro-Gonzaga whistle. I don't know if I totally buy that uh, in the game. And we're going to talk about one team that had a very pro-heavy whistle. Alabama in this game actually shot more free throws than Gonzaga. Gonzaga had more total fouls than Alabama. So I can't sit here and say that this was one where the whistle went against, uh, against Alabama. So that's one takeaway. I think, two, there was a little bit of concern. And I do think part of it, this is important to know. Alabama earlier this week lost a really key player in a kid named Namari Burnett. Uh, I think it was a hand or a wrist. I can't remember which, but he, but he's out for the foreseeable future. And I do worry a little bit simply because of one. Sim- he He's just the kind of kid. He doesn't care about stats. He doesn't care about points. He doesn't have to have 22 points in a game to feel good. This was the kid that against Houston shut down Marcus Sasser. And I think he's a really important part to what they do. Now, in terms of why they lost, though, that's not necessarily why they lost. Why they lost is two simple things. They allowed Gonzaga to shoot 57% from the field, which I just told you. And then two, and and as important, they're another team that's struggling with turnovers right now. 21 against Gonzaga. Even last week in the win at Houston had 20. And that's something that's simply got to get fixed, especially for a team that plays a bunch of guards at all times. So for Alabama, I, I think you can look at it as disappointing because you're on your home turf. You won in Seattle last year against Gonzaga. But overall, this is a net positive, I believe, the last month for Alabama. Because think about what Alabama has done since the beginning of really the, the the week of Thanksgiving, they have played, just think about this schedule. They have played North Carolina, Michigan State, UConn, who we didn't know UConn was probably the best team in the country, but they are. Then they come home and play at Houston, Memphis, and Gonzaga on a neutral court. So Gonzaga on a neutral court, North Carolina, UConn, Michigan State on a neutral court, at, uh, at Houston, Memphis at home. They go 4-2 and two overall and now sit at 9-2 and two on the season. It's okay to be frustrated if you're an Alabama fan with how it looked on Saturday in Birmingham, but the net positive is you're 9-2 and and you got yourselves a heck of an out-of-conference resume. I would add Brandon Miller, the starting uh, wing for Alabama. He finishes this game. He was unbelievable. 36 points, 6 for 11 from 3. And when it comes to the NBA draft, we don't talk a ton of NBA draft, especially this time of year on this show. But what I would say about the NBA draft is this. There's the kid, Victor Wenbanyama, 
from France. Okay. So he is, everyone's saying like, there's no doubt he's going to be the number one pick. And then Scoot Henderson, who plays in the G League, G League Ignite, is probably going to go number two. All I'll say is I respect Scoot Henderson. Even though I'm critical of G League Ignite, I think he's a really talented player. And I understand that you can't pass on Victor Wenbanyama. I find it very hard to believe that teams will pass on Brandon Miller at number two the way that he is playing. He has been unbelievable. 36 points in this game for Alabama. Let's go to another really interesting game. Featuring an SEC team as Tennessee goes to Tucson, Arizona to play the Arizona Wildcats in a late night game that based on my social media feed. Oh, a lot of you people were watching final score in this one. Uh, 75 70 as Arizona gets the win. Couple thoughts here. One, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it. There is nothing better than true home and homes in college basketball. I understand why we play neutral court games, and I there, there are plenty of times where we have great neutral court environments. UCLA, Kentucky was a great environment on Saturday, even if the result didn't go as planned. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think here. Uh, um, trying to think off the top of my head. Indiana, Arizona last week in Vegas was a great neutral court environment. So I'm not anti-neutral court. What I am is anti-neutral court when it's two teams in a random place where the fans can't enjoy it. With that said, though, there is still nothing that beats a home court. This was a great atmosphere, the McHale Center. And beyond that, I'll take it a step further. It was clear that these two teams did not like each other. Remember, Arizona was undefeated late into December last year, right before the Christmas holiday. They fly across country to play Tennessee. Tennessee does get the win, and you could tell this one meant a lot to Arizona. Now, in terms of the game itself, I'm just going to get to it. The refereeing, it was not great. And I'm not saying that's why Arizona won, and I'm not saying that's why Tennessee lost. But what I will say, I get why Tennessee fans were mad in this game. Tennessee finishes with a minus 17 free throw discrepancy. In other words, Arizona took 17 more free throws on their home court than Tennessee. When Tennessee loses by five, you can see where they're frustrated. Now, in terms of Tennessee itself, let's start with Tennessee and we'll get to Arizona in a minute. From the Tennessee perspective, Here's the good news. The good news is you flew across country in a super hostile environment in a game where you shot 17 less free throws than the other team and you had a chance to win. And not only did you have a chance to win, I thought more than anybody this year, Tennessee made Arizona look uncomfortable, which is a testament to Tennessee's defensive prowess as a team. They hold Arizona to five of 24, about 21% three-point shooting. Arizona with 15 assists and 15 turnovers for this Arizona team. That is a, those are kind of jarring numbers because on the season, Arizona is averaging 21 assists per game and just 14 turnovers per game. So averaging about seven or so assists plus, you know, assists relative to turnovers. So the fact that Tennessee held them neutral there is a sign as how good that defense was. And beyond that, I know Tennessee fans know this. Um, you're playing without one of your marquee players, and that is Josiah Jordan-James. He has been out for a while. He will be back soon. Now, from the Arizona perspective, here's the good news. This is the news that if you're an Arizona fan, you got to take. One, you get the win. Two, you avenge last year's loss, and there was a big dust-up at the end of the game and pushing and shoving, and people had to break it up. And hate to say it, Umar Balo may have, sent a, may have given a two-finger salute to Tennessee on the way out the door. But if you're Arizona, here is the positive. The positive, that was the best defensive team that you're going to play until the NCAA tournament. And I know you're on your home court. 
I get all that. But to get that win, when, as I said, 15 assists, 15 turnovers, 5 of 24 from the three-point line, that is a great sign going forward. And what it says to me about Arizona, I think they're one of the two, three best teams in the country that I've seen. Um, and, and it starts in the front court, right? Umar Balo, 18 points, eight rebounds. Asulis Tubelis, 19 points, nine rebounds. As I've said many times, there is no front court in the country quite like them. Maybe my Yukon Huskies, but even my Yukon Huskies, they don't generally play their two big guys together, Sonogo and Donovan Klingon. And so if you're Arizona, this is a net positive, and I'll take it even a step further, and Arizona fans got mad at me for saying this. Arizona, I think, is really setting itself up nicely for March. And I know it's December, and everyone hates when you get too far ahead of yourselves. But here's what you need to know about the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament West Regional this year is in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Center. First time ever NCAA tournament games are in Vegas. If you remember, I believe it's 2028, the Final Four will come to Vegas. Why I bring it up is for this reason. It is because of the fact that for people who don't know the geography, Tucson, Arizona is and, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Vegas is basically a home away from home for Arizona. During the Pac-12 tournament, they call the Pac-12 tournament the Arizona Invitational. I have been there, okay? I have seen Arizona fans take over bars, take over everything to the point that it's 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 just 95% Arizona fans. And so the fact that the West Regional goes through there, if you're an Arizona fan, you got to feel really good. You're 10 and 1. You have a home win over Tennessee. You have neutral court wins over Creighton, who I know is struggling, but they're going to get 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 right. They're going to get to the tournament and San Diego State. Um, you have a ro- uh, road or excuse me, a neutral court win over Indiana. So neutral court wins over Indiana, San Diego State, and Creighton. You have a home win over Tennessee. You're going to destroy most everybody in the Pac-12. You're going to get that number one seed in the West. You're going to go through the West region. You're going to have to go through Vegas to get to the Final Four. I'm just telling you, I'm not saying book your tickets for Vegas. I'm not saying book your tickets for Houston in the Final Four. But you got to feel really good about where you're at right now. Uh, A couple other scores from Saturday. Uh, Houston, Virginia. I, I, you know, I don't think there's a major takeaway here. It, it was funny. People asked me for my best bets. I didn't post it just because of time. It was a, a, a 2 p.m. Eastern start. But I said I like Houston. And the reason I like Houston, it's not because I think Virginia stinks. I think they're a good team. But Houston, it's easy to forget. They played Alabama last week. They were up by 15 in the second half before they fell apart. And so I can't get too worked up about a team that was up 15 points against Alabama. And the one thing that Houston does better than anybody is something that Virginia struggles with. Houston is an elite offensive rebounding team. Virginia is not very good limiting offensive rebounds. Now, they were on Saturday, but that's not Virginia's strength. And so I really believe that Houston could go in there, have success against Virginia. They do. They get the win. Don't think this means Virginia stinks. Don't think it means that Houston is anything other than what we thought, which is an awesome team. Great win for Houston. Great win for Kansas over Indiana. No huge takeaways there. The only real thought that I have as far as that game is concerned, one, Bill Self, he's a god. You can make fun of him, NCAA, you know, FBI, whatever. You look at this roster. Keep in mind, when we talk recruiting, here's what you need to know. Anybody outside of about a top 25 prospect is hit or miss in terms of college basketball, right? You get a top 25 prospect, you got a good player, you got a top 10 prospect, you probably got to win a nut. Three of Kansas's five starters were outside of the top 50 when they were in high school. Uh, what's his name? Jalen Wilson was a fringe top 50 guy. KJ Adams was a fringe top 75 guy. Dewan Harris was a fringe top 100 guy. They are all really good college basketball players. 
Grady Dick is a very good player for them as well. And Kevin McCullough, the transfer. I bring it up. Bill Self, man, he is something else in terms of talent development for Indiana. I know everybody wants to freak out. They stink. They suck. They're soft. They're whatever. A couple thoughts there. One, you lose your starting point guard, Xavier Johnson, early in the game to an injury. Your best player outside of Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen hood Shafino, struggles as well. He's coming off injury. I'm not going to freak out about Indiana going into a road venue. The one thing I will say about Indiana, though, and I think it's fair, I think they're probably pretty good, but you look at the resume. They do win at Xavier. They get North Carolina at home, but they're only two road games they've lost. They're only a neutral court game. They lose to Arizona, Arizona and Kansas. No shame in losing, but obviously once you get to big 10 play, you're going to have to win away from Bloomington. They haven't really proven yet that they can do it. Last game. I just mentioned North Carolina taking care of business or, or Indiana taking care of business against North Carolina. How about them North Carolina Tar Heels, though, taking care of business against Ohio State? This game was wild. North Carolina was down by 14 points at one time to Ohio State, come all the way back, hit the buzzer beater to force overtime Pete Nance and get the win in overtime. Really, you know, a couple things here. I I'm not ready to definitively say, oh, North Carolina's back. Because remember, preseason number one, they do lose four games in a row. But a couple things stand out about this one. One, Armando Baycott, who's been dealing with injuries, looked much better, 28 and 15. Caleb Love, who we talked about when North Carolina lost to Alabama, he's hit or miss. He's hot or cold. Sometimes he plays out of control. Saturday was the first time in a long time he was really kind of under control. Shoots eight of 20, eight of 20 from the field. So nice, crisp 40%. This, of course, after shooting 13 of 36 against Alabama, 4 of 14 against Iowa State. So he's been all over the place in terms of ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, good games and bad games. He was good there. Not ready to say this definitively makes North Carolina back. There was one interesting note from Hubert Davis and, and really from the announcing crew, Brad Nessler and Bill Raftery during the game. The note was that Hubert Davis really referenced that, look, it's easy to be disappointed with the four-game losing streak. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. And if you're a North Carolina fan, I understand your frustration. What he said, though, was, look at that losing streak. They were essentially on the road for about two and a half, three weeks straight, okay? So they go to the PK-85 event in Portland. Remember, that started on a Wednesday. They played, or Thursday, excuse me. They played the first game on Thanksgiving Day. Probably left North Carolina on Tuesday get in, play Wednesday, Thursday, or play Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday, fly out Sunday night. They then have a road game at Indiana. So you left on Tuesday, probably don't go home. You play three games in Portland. The, you leave Portland Sunday night. Wednesday, you have to play at Indiana. Then the following weekend, you have to play at Virginia Tech. So according to Hubert Davis, I don't know if they maybe made a pit stop for a day or two in North Carolina. But realistically, probably they were on the road for probably about, you know, 12, 13 straight days, 13 out of 14 days, 14 out of 15 days, something like that. So now they get home, they get a couple wins last week, win this game, they're on a three-game win streak. I think it'll be interesting. And the other thing that's important to note with North Carolina, the ACC once again stinks, okay? ACC stinks. Duke is pretty good. Virginia Tech is good. Miami is probably pretty good in Virginia. But you get past them, there's a lot of dead weight. Syracuse stinks. Florida State stinks. Wake Forest isn't as good as last year. Georgia Tech stinks. Boston College definitely stinks. Louisville stinks. Curious to see on NC State. 
Point being, there are plenty of wins to be had in the ACC. Not ready to give up on North Carolina just yet. I just want to do, do want to take a quick break. Do want to come back. And when I come back, I want to talk a little college football. Busy time, portal this, portal that. But we're going to talk about one big recruit who made one big decision to decommit from one major power. And this power is going in the right direction. Going to take a quick break. Discuss that next. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap. With a little bit of college football, because believe it or not, it's actually, even though the, you know, the bowl games are kind of starting, by the way, shout out to my UConn Huskies who play in the Myrtle Beach Bowl today. Bowl games are starting, but really the story in college football, at least for the next couple of days, is that National Signing Day is coming and it is just an insane time across the sport of college football, okay? Uh, National Signing Day is coming Wednesday. I think we may do kind of a Tuesday show just to kind of preview everything that could happen, but Signing Day is coming, Transfer Portal is open. But we got a huge piece of news on Saturday that pertains to college football that may be bigger than anything that happened on National Signing Day, and it involved a player who can't even sign a letter of intent for another one year from now. Can't sign a letter of intent for at least one more year. That player is a kid named Dylan Rayola. Okay, so if you don't know the name Dylan Rayola, you can be forgiven, but he is actually the number one high school player in football in the class of 2023 or 2024, excuse me, meaning he just finished his junior year. He'll be a senior next year. He had been at least up until Saturday committed to the Ohio state university since last May. Well, Saturday we wake up Saturday. There starts to be a little Twitter rumbling that maybe he's taken down some posts on his social media that involve Ohio state about midday, right? As that great slate of college basketball is starting we get reports that Dylan Rayola, the number one player in the class of 2024, has in fact decommitted from Ohio State. And so why I, would talk, why I want to talk about it, why I bring it up is for one simple reason. It is because in a year where Ryan Day is coming off his second straight loss to, to Michigan, at a time when the Ohio State program appears to be on less stable ground than it's been in a while, not saying it's in bad, awful shape, but it's certainly not what it was four, five, six years ago when it was absolutely humming. This is the exact kind of wrong news that you want to get if you're Ohio State, and it just leads me to believe this. There is something that's not quite right at Ohio State. Can't totally put my finger on it, but it does feel like this is a program that in some ways, not saying it's falling apart, they're going 4-8 and eight next year, 
but that it is going in the wrong direction. Now, in terms of Dylan Rayola, listen, I'll be honest. In terms of why he may have decommitted, it's hard to get very accurate information. Uh, shortly after the decommitment, his father, who played in the NFL, we'll get to him in a minute, um, did do, an, do, do a couple interviews where he basically said two things. He said, um, one, we have nothing but respect for Coach Day, blah, 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 this and that. And then two, on top of that, uh, we are completely restarting the recruiting process over. We're basically at square one. We're taking it from the beginning. So there's not that much to gauge there. And I think most people seem to think that this decommitment came from one of three reasons. One, is there another school that could potentially be involved? Well, what I can tell you is now that the recruitment is open, everybody is going to get in the mix. Now, he has very specific family ties, which we will get into in a minute, to Nebraska. Yeah, we're going to talk about Nebraska to wrap this show. If you're a Nebraska fan, stick around till the end. But on top of that, even before he committed to Ohio State, this was a kid that had offers from Penn State, USC, Michigan, some of the SEC schools, on and on. So the recruitment is open. He could go anywhere, but there are reports, you know, could, could he just have, could there be another school that, that has just caught his attention? As I said, family ties to Nebraska. Oh, by the way, they just hired a head coach that was coaching in the NFL like two months ago. There's another thought school of thought, and it's it's a little bit to do with other schools, but it has more to do with Ohio State, that Ohio State is falling behind in the NIL space. This in the Ohio State community has been a big topic of conversation over the last couple weeks. I'm not here to tell you that I have any inside information other than what I hear. Um, uh, you know, Zach Smith, who was a very popular Ohio State podcast, has said that Ohio State is falling behind, um, that the what is the the alignment, I guess would be the right word at the school is not there. Players are not getting what they were promised um, they're And they're certainly not getting the money that other schools are providing for their players. So there, there's there's the possible other school. There's the possible NIL problems. And then there was a little bit of a rumor that I heard from somebody that I do trust, and I, you know, I'm not going to speculate too much, but that maybe the NIL money was there, but maybe it's not necessarily being allocated the right way. And what I mean by that is pretty straightforward. What I mean by that is that Dylan Rayola did commit last May. He was obviously recruited for years before that. And so if you think about last May, that was kind of the start of like really NIL really ramping up, right? The first year, everybody's trying to figure it out. Then there's last national signing day where we think some stuff may have happened at certain schools, not going to name them, but you know who I'm talking about. And really it wasn't until the spring and summer into this recruiting cycle where you're like, oh, NIL's here and it's here to stay. And so I bring it up because my guess is he committed to Ohio State because Ryan Day is the quarterback whisperer. Ryan Day is the quarterback guru. Every guy he touches uh, turns into a first round NFL pick. But what I had heard, and this is from somebody that I do trust that maybe, um, you know, he was told one thing about the NIL situation. Then Ohio state over the last couple of weeks has really ramped up their recruitment of some kids that are going to be committing this year. Uh, kids in 2023 were offered some stuff that maybe uh, Dylan Rayola and his family didn't believe were available. They got wind of it. Remember that quarterback community is really tight knit, right? The elite 11, all these families talk to each other. And so whatever the case, whatever the reason, it is clear that this kid and Ohio State soured, and I am just here to tell you, this is another black eye for the Ryan Day era at Ohio State. And again, to be clear, I'm not saying he's getting fired tomorrow, I'm not saying he's the worst coach in the history of college football. But what I am saying is, if you don't think that there's a lot of stuff right now 
that kind of shows us that Ohio State is going in the wrong direction. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. And I know what people will say, oh, he's 45 and 5 since he took over and they went 11 and 1 this year. And I agree. And I give him credit for that. I'm never going to criticize a guy because he lost one game over the course of the season. But here's the bottom line. Here's what you need to know about the state of Ohio State right now. One, we know about the back-to-back losses to Michigan. Not good. Not ideal. And I think this one is the one that's really kind of, and we talked about this the day after the Michigan game. You can go back and watch that video. I think this is the one that's really sticking in the craw of Ohio State fan. Because last year, all the excuses, they were all lined up, right? Games in Ann Arbor. The weather's really bad. Uh, reports are that the flu was running through that locker room like Usain Bolt through the finish line, the blue ribbon at the end of the at the end of the race, right? And so I talked about it after the after this year's Ohio State game, but it, but the the whole Ohio State narrative from 2021, it was almost like what I said at the time was it reminded me of your parents talking about how tough things were when they were kids, and first they had to walk to school, then they had to walk five miles uphill. Then they had to walk five miles uphill both ways. Then it was snowing and there was eight feet of snow on the ground. That was kind of Ohio State. It started with a loss. It turned into the flu. It turned into the weather. It turned into everything. Well, this year, the game was in Columbus. Weather was perfect and they still got their butts kicked. So there's the Michigan element of it. But beyond the Michigan element of it, there's something else that I keep talking about. I'm the only one that talks about it. For By the way, back to the Michigan thing for a second. Don't tell me about Ryan Day's 45-5 and five record. I don't care about that. And Ohio State doesn't care about that. You get $10 million a year or nine, five or whatever he's making to win one game specifically. You got to beat Michigan. You got to compete for big 10 titles. You got to compete for playoff bursts. You got to compete for national championships. That is the standard at Ohio state. And we'll see if that standard gets met this year, but back-to-back losses to Michigan. And beyond that, as I've said in big games, the further away we get from the urban Meyer era, the less and less Ohio state looks like Ohio state. I threw out this stat after the Michigan game. I think it blew some people away. In their last eight games against top 15 opponents, so the teams that are built and have the resources to compete like Ohio State, in the last eight games, by the way, we just talked about this with Calipari in the basketball segment, so it's kind of wild that there's some sort of parallel here. But in the last eight games against top 25, top 15 teams, Ohio State is 4-4, four and four, okay? Ohio State is 4-4, four and four, two losses to Michigan. Obviously, last year there was the loss to Oregon, and the year before was the loss to Alabama in the title game. Here's the scary part, though. Not only are they four and four straight up, in three of those games, they trailed at halftime. Trailed at halftime to Penn State this year. Trailed at halftime to Notre Dame this year. Trailed at halftime in the Rose Bowl last year against Utah. So why I bring it up, since the end of the 2020 COVID season, essentially one game that Ohio State has played elite competition, have they looked like Ohio State? That was a Michigan State team that they destroyed, which we, you know, they ended up with the worst pass defense in college football. So it was the perfect matchup on the perfect day at home. And other than that, it's a lot of, eh, it's a lot of, okay, it's a lot of, uh. And so I bring it up because, again, for the third time, the final time, I promise, I'm not saying that it's over for Ohio State. I'm not saying that they're turning into Rutgers overnight. But one thing that this does strike me, I've told this story before, I think, but I remember talking those early 2000s Miami's teams. Ironically, their dynasty kind of ended in a game against Ohio State. Well, I remember talking to uh, a coach that was part of those staffs, okay? And the coach told a story of how he was talking to someone before the 2002 National Championship game against Ohio State. And if you remember at the time, Miami was unbeatable. 
The 2000 season, they lose early. They run the table after week two. They don't get into the national championship game. If there was a 14 playoff, they probably would have won it. Team that won the, that that finished, a, you know, that made the championship game, Florida State, they beat in the regular season. Then 2001, Miami goes undefeated. Then they go undefeated into the next year's national championship game against Ohio State. But the coach was telling me that he was on the sidelines talking to kind of a, a football icon. I think I've told this story before. And he said to the guy, he said, man, how long can this keep going? Three straight years, we run college football. And the guy told him, he said, from my experience, this thing is already starting to go the other way, and you guys don't even realize it yet. And so that's where I'm at with Ohio State. It doesn't, you don't go from 12 and 0 and competing for a national championship at a place like Ohio State to 2 and 10. That's not how it works. But there starts to be little things. You start to lose to your biggest rival. Then all of a sudden, it's a loss to Penn State here. Then all of a sudden, it's a recruiting miss there. Then all of a sudden, the number one quarterback in college football decommits, right? And, and it's, it's again, it's almost like the Kentucky basketball thing where it didn't start by losing every meaningful game to big teams. But you're now here after three, four years. And that's what I worry about with Ohio State because it's one thing if you lose a five-star in a decommitment. That stuff happens all the time. But when you're Ryan Day, the quarterback whisperer, the two guys you've coached at Ohio State have been first-round picks. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, you know, obviously sad story there, but Dwayne Haskins was a first-round pick. Rest in peace to him. And Justin Fields, who's awesome. C.J. Stroud is going to be one. You shouldn't lose a, a quarterback commit, right? That's not how it should work. And so I'm telling you, there's something not quite right at Ohio State. We'll see what happens as Dylan Rayola has decommitted. And what I would just say really quick before we get out of here is that there is buzz about one school potentially Dylan Rayola going to. And this is so juicy, so fascinating as a child who grew up watching college football in the 90s. This thing's got my heart a flutter like it's 1994 all over again. And the school that Dylan Rayola is tied to is Nebraska. Okay. And so for people who don't know, his dad's Donovan Rayola, famous player, played in the NFL forever, who played at Nebraska. His uncle was an assistant coach under Scott Frost at Nebraska, was the only coach retained by Matt Rule on the current staff. And so I bring it up because I'm just starting to say there's starting to be some buzz. Now, obviously, look, it's a year before he's got to make a final decision, put pen to paper. Um, but you talk about a statement for Matt rule. And, and, and by the way, this is the NIL era. I don't care what happened, how it happened, whatever. But if Matt rule can come in and flip this kid to Nebraska, I mean, that would be the all time drop your, you know, what's on the table. Let's go to work. So keep an eye on this. This is fascinating. But to me, the bigger story is just what's going on at Ohio state. There's just something that's not quite right. Can't put my finger on it. All right, with that said, I do think it's time for me to get out of here. You know, there, there's, there was some portal stuff over the weekend. It's good. It's fun. I don't know that we need to do a full other segment on it, and we did a ton of hoops to lead the show. So we're going to get out of here. As I said, Tuesday, maybe we do a portal signing day specific show. But for right now, it is time for me to go. Before we get out of here, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. By the way, guys and girls, I appreciate your support. It's December. The numbers on this show are going up. So I cannot do it without you guys and girls. Thank you for your support. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify. I should mention, by the way, YouTube. New episodes. Every time we drop a new episode, 9 a.m. the next morning, we go live on YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. We are closing in on 18,000 subscribers there. 
Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres. We have all the Torres on social media accounts, which are humming Torres on UConn. Oh, it'll be going for the bowl game. Torres on the hogs, Torres on the Vols, Torres on UK, Torres on AM, Arizona, Indiana, Auburn. And I think Bam, I think, I, I think I just hit on all of them. So make sure you're following all of those. Uh, and by the way, as I said, December 3rd or January 1st, excuse me, legal sports betting goes live in Ohio. I will be there. If you live in Northern Kentucky, if you live in the Cincinnati area, hit me up, Foling Warehouse in Cincinnati. I will be there January 1st. We'll probably be doing a live show amongst many other things. So make sure to check that out. With that said, it is time for me to get out of here, though. I want to thank you guys and girls for your support. Shout out to Torncrain. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on maybe Tuesday, worst case Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Toast With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.